Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, when you see those uh, verses read for the first time, you're a little bit confused. I, unless you're just a whole lot smarter than I am. Because when I look at those verses for the first time, I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes, what could that possibly mean? We're, we're talking about Hagar and Sarah, and one of them's a slave, and one of them's a free woman, and then one of them corresponds to this covenant, and then one of them corresponds to this covenant. It, it's admittedly a really confusing passage when we just kind of read through it and say, holy smokes, what is what does that or what could that mean? But this is what Paul is doing. A lot of times in our, in our language, and when we talk with somebody, we make a comparison, right? We say, oh, well, what happened back in, you know, 78 is what, is kind of what happened last year. And this is kind of what Paul's doing. So all growing up, growing up in Rhode Island, and maybe even here, it was always about, oh, the blizzard of 78 happened well, in 78. And so now whenever we have a snowstorm, it's like, oh, well, that was nothing like the blizzard of 78. Or that was actually, wow, that's a lot of snow. That was kind of like the blizzard of 78. So that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, what's going on here with you Galatians is kind of like what's going on way back in the beginning of the Bible. So in the book of Galatians, we're, we're way toward here. We're, right, I mean, we're way toward the end of the Bible. But what he does is he opens up the very beginning of the Bible and he says... What's going on with you is a whole lot like what was going on with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. So he's, he's making a comparison. That's why he says uh, the situation in Genesis can be taken figuratively or uh, as an allegory. So in order to understand this morning's passage, those, those ten or so verses that we're going to be looking at, we need to go back to the Genesis account and see what he's comparing, what he's comparing the Galatians situation to. So in Genesis chapter 15, we see that God makes a covenant with Abraham. The the God, the creator God over all things, he actually says, Abraham, I'm going to step into a covenant with you. In other words, I'm going to make an agreement with you, and this is going to be a top-down agreement. In other words, I'm going to do these things for you. This is out of grace. This is out of my own love. I'm just going to do this for you. So in Genesis 15, that's what God does for Abraham. And one of the big promises that he makes to Abraham is that he would have a son. That he would be the father of many nations. And he would certainly have a son so that he could be the father of many nations. But there was a huge problem with this. And some of you probably remember this. Abraham was old. Really old. The kind of old where you don't have children old. Really old. Like, he should be a great, great, great grandfather at this point, basically. And then the other problem is Sarah's old. So even if Abraham could have a child, where Sarah was quite old as well. And she was past the age of childbearing. So that was the problem. God made this promise to an older couple and said, You're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And Abraham laughs. A lot of times we, we hear that Sarah laughed, and she did eventually laugh. But at first, Abraham laughed, and in the human perspective, rightly so. So, in order for Abraham to have a child, him and his wife kind of set up an agreement. But really, it's Abraham listening to his wife. So, Sarah, Abraham's wife, says to him, Why don't you go and sleep with my servant? 
go sleep with my slave and have a child for me by her. Since I'm too old, I can't have children, have a child through Hagar, through the slave Hagar. So Abraham listens to his wife. He does what she says to do. And Hagar, the slave, conceives. And she has a child. And as a result of this, Sarah begins to despise Hagar. I mean, you can imagine the drama, right? I mean, this is, if you put this on TV, it'd get pretty good ratings. Where all of this happens, and then Sarah now is bitter at Hagar. Oh, great, she ended up conceiving, and now she is going to have a son, and I don't have a son. So she's bitter, she's upset, she begins to despise Hagar, she mistreats her, and then eventually Hagar runs away. The mistreatment was so bad from Sarah to her slave that Hagar's like, I'm out of here, and she runs away. And so Hagar runs into a desert, and God finds her in the desert. She's pregnant, she's alone. God finds her. An angel of the Lord speaks to her and promises that she will give birth to a son and that her offspring would be many as well. It would be uncountable. But also, the angel of the Lord tells Hagar, the slave who was the mistreated one, he says, go back to Sarah. She's your master. You need to go back to her. So Hagar does that. She goes back to Sarah and she submits to Sarah. She obeys God. She ends up giving birth to a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael is raised as a son of Abraham. It is his son. and So he decides, of course, that he's going to raise Ishmael as his son. But then the miraculous happens. God promises in Genesis 17 that Sarah, Abraham's wife, would give birth to a son. And Abraham, in that situation, in chapter 17, he's the one laughing. And he tells God, he says, hey, God, why don't, I already have a son. So why don't you just work through that son? But God would not work through Ishmael. God had no intention of working with their little scheme. You know how they they schemed that they would have a son through Hagar and have Ishmael. God had no intention of working through their scheme. He was going to provide a son miraculously from this old man and woman. So some chapters end up going by in Genesis after all of this happens. But in chapter 21, we see that God comes through on His promise. Sarah, an old woman, conceives Isaac. And Isaac is born when Abraham is 100 years old. This is often how God works, isn't it? I mean, He, he does the unthinkable. That's, that's how God works. He, he is all those things that we just saying. He's indescribable. He's un. Containable. He, he just does what he wants to do. So he decides that he's going to promise an older couple a son, and he comes through on his promise. This is, again, often how he works, using crazy situations like this. So as we come to Galatians 4, Paul's referencing all of what we just talked about. So when he brings up Galatians 4, when he brings up the kinds of things that we've talked about with Hagar and Sarah and Abraham... He's expecting all of what happened in the Genesis account to just flood into our mind. So then it makes sense what he's saying. Well, look in uh, chapter 4, verse 21 in Galatians. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. So when he says slave woman, he's talking about Hagar. When he's talking about the free woman, he's talking about 
Sarah. So by saying these few words, that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave and one by the free woman, he's again expecting all of that Genesis stuff to flood into our mind. He's, he's expecting us to know who Sarah is, who Hagar is, and so on. Because remember why Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians. Those false teachers were coming into the churches of Galatia. They were preaching their, their false doctrine. They were spreading it throughout the churches in Galatia. They were saying that you needed to follow the law in order to be a Christian, to be accepted by God. And they were boasting about how they were physically connected to Abraham because they were circumcised like Abraham was. And one of the sons was born in a fleshly way. We saw that with Ishmael. He was born as a result of Abraham listening to Sarah and sleeping with Sarah's slave. But Isaac was born through promise. So Paul's point is that you shouldn't worry about being physically connected to Abraham. His point isn't, oh wow, you're circumcised like Abraham is. So that means you follow Abraham's line in an ethnic way. Paul's saying that's not the point. That's not the goal. So Ishmael, the son that was born to Abraham and Hagar the slave, is representing those who want to do it on their own. Because remember, that's exactly what they did, wasn't it? Abraham goes into Hagar, and they're, they're doing it on their own. It, it, it all happens in an ordinary way. It, was, it wasn't done through promise. It wasn't miraculous. It was done on their own terms. And that's how they decided to do it. So he, Ishmael represents those who were basing their eternity on what they themselves could accomplish. He represents those who are born into spiritual slavery to law. But then on the other side, we have Isaac, the other son, Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. He's representing those who were born according to promise, those who are miraculously born of God in, in a spiritual way. Just as he himself, Isaac, was born, born in a miraculous way, so we as Christians are spiritually born in a miraculous way. So at, at, at this point, he's going to drive, drive this point home by bringing all of this stuff up from the Old Testament to say all along what he's been saying to these Galatians. So as we've gone through these, these first four chapters, at the end of this sermon, we'll be done the first four chapters. And then it's going to, frankly, get a whole lot more practical from here. But this whole point, he's been building his case, saying, stop following the law in a way that makes you look good in the eyes of God or makes you feel as though you are now able to be accepted by God because you're following the law. So this whole time he's been saying, don't do that. And so it kind of culminates in this passage here this morning with this illustration from the Old Testament. So he's saying what he's been saying all along. We are not to live according to works. We are to live according to faith as children of the promise. Look at verse 23. His son by the slave woman was born in an ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of promise. So again, this reiterates what I just said. Ishmael was conceived and born ordinarily, but Isaac came miraculously as a result of God's promise. Verse 24. These things may be taken figuratively. For the woman represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar, 
Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So again, completely admitting that this is confusing a little bit, tough. But Paul's saying that this account from Genesis of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah can be taken figuratively so that these two women who bore children, Hagar and Sarah, they represent two covenants. Hagar represents the covenant that God made with the people of Israel in the book of Exodus when when they were on Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? In Exodus, God makes that covenant. He establishes all of that with Israel. But then on the other side, Sarah represents the covenant that God made with Abraham. So remember that God made a covenant with Abraham, specifically in Genesis 15, in the first book of the Bible. But in the second book of the Bible, in Exodus... God makes a covenant with the Jews as a whole. And each of these women, Hagar and Sarah, represent one of these covenants. So those who follow in the way of Hagar, follow her as slaves to works. They're they're doing it on their own. They're trying to please God in in what they themselves can muster up. So to apply this to the Galatians situation, and also what, what, what we often get caught up in, The false teachers were using the law of Moses to enslave the Galatians. The false teachers were teaching the Galatians to depend on their own works to please God. They were getting the Galatians to function as though they were children of Hagar, born into slavery, instead of free children, of being free and alive to God. And this is very important for us to see as wrong. This is the whole thrust through those first chapters of of this book of Galatians. That if we take the law of Moses or, or anything else as measuring sticks to see how good we can make ourselves look in the eyes of God, then we've completely missed the point of Galatians and of being a Christian. If that's what we're doing, Measuring our stuff up. I do this, 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 and this, and this. Therefore, God should look at me as though I'm a good person. We've, we've, we've missed the point of being a Christian. You're in bondage if you think that way. So the question that we all need to answer in our minds this morning in relation to all of this that Paul's talking about is this. So again, all of this stuff is kind of confusing. But if we could kind of boil it and pull away and think about one question, this is it. Why does God... Accept me. Why does God accept me? So, if you don't take anything else from this sermon, I want you to think about that question. Why does God accept you? Think of an answer in your mind. Why does He accept you? If what came to your mind is that you go to church every Sunday, you read your Bible all the time, you pray all the time, you read our daily bread every month, or you don't smoke or chew or go with those that do, or anything like that. If that's what came to your mind, then the book of Galatians hasn't quite clicked yet. What should come to your mind when you think, why does God accept me, shouldn't be a list of do's and don'ts. What should come to your mind is simple. The personal work of Jesus. Why does God accept Brandon? Not because Brandon's a great in and of himself and can do all these things and make himself look good. God accepts Brandon because he sees Jesus. That's why I'm accepted. So when you're asked, 
Why does God accept you? Your mind should fly to Jesus. You think about what He bore for you on the cross. You think about the fact that He rose from the dead. He's the one who did all the work and rose from the dead on your behalf to free us from sin and death. So the answer is God accepts me because He has accepted the work of Jesus on my behalf. So someday when when we all stand before God, we will not say to Him, Lord, you should accept me into heaven because I went to church every single Sunday or I read the Bible every day or prayed or whatever. The only thing that we can and should say is what hymn writer says, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If your hope is built on showing up here every Sunday, reading your Bible every day, or following some kind of list that has been made up, then you've missed it. Our hope isn't built on obeying rules to make us look good in the eyes of God. Our hope is in trusting in Christ's obedience in His death and resurrection. So this is the book of Galatians, really, in a nutshell. The false teachers were dragging these Galatians into slavery. He was pulling them in. He was, he, they were making them children of Hagar. They were making them act as though they were in bondage and slavery. And the problem is that we are so prone to turn good things like the law of Moses and Bible reading and prayer, like communion or baptism and all the rest, into things that we can trust in for our salvation and for something to hold up and to, and to show God, hey, hey, God, see, this is how good I am. I did, ex- I did exactly what you said to the T. So, therefore, you should accept me. But that's wrong. So, what these Galatian false teachers were doing... With the law of Moses, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of books in our Bible. First five books in our Bible is the law of Moses and certain aspects of that. And it's a good thing. God wrote His word. Is, is not His word good? But the problem was that they were taking a good thing and twisting it and making it the point of acceptance to God. And we can do the same exact thing. We can take our baptism. We can take the fact that we participate in the Lord's Supper, and we can trust in those kinds of things for our salvation. We can turn good gifts like those and and like Bible reading and prayer. We can take those kinds of things and trust in them for our salvation. We can turn all of this into a system of works. But all that we must trust in is in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ. Even if you've accepted Christ years ago, and how does God accept you now? It's not by obeying a list. It's by trusting in Christ still. This is all we need. One commentator said, When a person bases his hope for eternity on his endeavors, he is engaged in a sterile business. In other words, it's fruitless. To, to trust in your own endeavor for salvation. To base your eternal life on yourself is a sterile business. It is a bad thing to do. Trusting and relying on Christ is all we need to live our lives well and to have the opportunity to be with Him forever. In fact, if we are trusting in Christ alone through faith alone, we will be with Him forever in the heavenly Jerusalem. Look at verse 26. But Jerusalem, the Jerusalem, that is above is free, and she is our mother. Okay? 
So we don't want to be slaves like Hagar. We don't want to be in bondage to works and slavery. We want to be free in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the city of the living God, as Hebrews says. Hebrews also says that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where he longed to be, and that's where we will be. So those who believe in Christ will one day enter that heavenly Jerusalem. And heaven, this, this Jerusalem, will not be bereft of her children. She will have those who are hers. We will be there one day together. And incredibly, we're told in the book of Ephesians that we are currently seated in the heavenlies. I can't explain that. I've mentioned that before. I can't necessarily explain that. All I know is that if you belong to Christ, you are currently seated now with Christ in the heavenlies. Thus, we have the ability to enter the most holy place of worship as a result of all that Christ has done for us. Look at verse 27. This is an Old Testament quotation. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, You who have no labor pains. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So again, this Old Testament quotation is from the book of Isaiah. And it's clear, it's inspired, it's an emphatic statement that Paul is making to the Galatians. Brothers, you are free. You are children of promise, like Isaac. You were born of promise. You are not a slave child born to a slave woman. You are a free child who has a heavenly mother. And you will go there and you'll dwell there in freedom with Christ. Those who are here today and you're trusting in Christ, you're you're a child of promise. You're, you're a child of promise like Isaac. You live in freedom. So don't be enslaved. You're a child of promise. You're, you're, you belong to Christ. You're the spiritual seed. You're part of, part of the many who are the spiritual seed of Abraham. You're an heir according to promise. This should just thrill us. This, this should cause us to explode. Our, our minds should just be thrilled at the thought that we are an heir of promise. But just because we are all of those things in Christ doesn't mean that there's not going to be persecution. In fact, Ishmael, or excuse me, Isaac himself, who was that heir according to promise, he was persecuted by his older half-brother, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the slave. Look at verse 29. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. So you remember in the beginning of the, of the sermon where we're talking about all those accounts with, with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, all of that backstory in Genesis. As you continue going through this account, Isaac is born and he reaches the age of being weaned. So back in these days, obviously, the first few years of, of life were very important to get through. You can imagine the kinds of situations that they were living in, a whole lot more extreme than living in the homes that we do now. So to get past the age of, of being weaned and, and to be you know, grown enough to, to be you know, not as acceptable to sickness or whatever the case is, it was a big deal. So Abraham threw a celebration for Isaac when he was three years old. And within that story, we see that Ishmael, the son of Hagar, laughed at Isaac. That's kind of rude, right? 
Here's Ishmael. He's, he's at least about 14 years old. And his three-year-old half-brother is having this celebration. And Ishmael's off laughing at him. Not a very good old brother. So we see that. And Paul is relating that to this current situation with the false teachers. He's saying that these false teachers are persecuting the Christians in the Galatian churches. The false teachers were persecuting the children of promise. So it's almost as though, if you want to correlate it a little closer, these false teachers are being like Ishmael, and they're laughing at the children of promise. They're laughing at those who are born of the power of the Spirit. So in this Genesis story, we see something interesting. Sarah, Isaac's mom, gets upset at this situation, rightly so. I mean, I can imagine if I were three and somebody was laughing and persecuting me, my mother would step up and say something. But in verse 30, Sarah says this, Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So the same must be said of those who follow the law as a means to please God and attain salvation. In these Galatian churches, they needed to get rid of these false teachers. They could not exist in the same camp. Children of slavery who are depending on themselves to, to look good in the eyes of God, or they're, they're doing whatever they can to earn their own salvation, cannot exist in the same camp as those who are children of promise, resting and relying in Christ alone for their salvation. They cannot coexist peacefully. So Paul finally says in, in verse 31, Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So which one are you? So you can consider your life, how you interact, how you think about the Christian life, that question that we thought about earlier. Why does God accept you? Well, which one of you? Which one are you? When you think, why does God accept me? Do you think of a list of do's and don'ts? I follow that perfectly. Or do you think, I trust in Christ alone, and He is all I need. Which one are you thinking? Are you a child of the slave woman, Hagar? Are you in bondage to what you hope makes you look good? Or are you a son of the free woman? Are you an heir according to promise? Do you recognize that the only way to live and die properly is by recognizing the work of Christ is, that, is, is, is all you need? Brothers and sisters, you are free in Christ. Live like it this week. Let's pray.